0: right? I mean, I don't know of anyone in the healing ministry today that that everyone that comes in the whole crowd is is healed, right? But with Jesus, in these cases, it was 100%, and it's never recorded that anyone came to him for healing that he didn't heal. But you could just say it's a demonstration of the love of God, a demonstration of compassion of God, regardless of people's hearts, minds, attitudes, faith. Boom! He heals them all. And you could say that when he's working in a relational way here in his hometown wanting people to put faith in him, when they don't exercise faith, he can't perform miracles. That's how I read it all my believing life until a few years ago when Nancy said, we're reading it wrong. Because I never actually stopped and pictured this. Did you ever actually think of what this account is saying the way we normally read it? So a blind person comes to Jesus and he goes to pray. It's like, there's just too much unbelief here. Nothing's happening. You know, they, they carry a paralytic to him. And, and he said, no, not enough faith here. I have a cold. Okay, I'm good with that. I can heal that cold. Right? Because he says he just healed a few sick people. He didn't do any miracles there. Right? Nancy said, we're reading it all wrong. It's like, oh, you're right. Because they took offense at him, they didn't come for healing. He couldn't do any miracles there because they're unbelief. In other words, if, if I have a free food distribution and nobody believes me, it's like I couldn't give out any food because they didn't believe. Nobody came for it except a few sick people. Of course they were healed because he's the healer. So uh, that's the way I understand the text. That, of course, in his mercy he heals, and sometimes the whole crowd came and he, he healed all the sick that were there. You know, and, and again, you have other accounts saying that you know, healing all, Matthew 15, 30, and 31, the same kind of picture is, is laid out there. But in his hometown, because they took offense, they didn't come for miracles. Yeah, right, the miracle worker. A few sick people came, they were healed, that was it. But there were no no miracles there. He couldn't because of their unbelief. Not that he was powerless to, that he couldn't overcome it. Of course he could overcome it. He did it in the synagogues, right? You know, you're going to heal, you're going to heal. Right, that's rank unbelief. And he goes, okay, watch, boom, I'm going to heal. So unbelief didn't stop him. So if it says he couldn't, He couldn't because nobody came. And I'm sure that's the right way to to read it. So it's a great question. That's the answer. Okay. All right, we'll wait for the mic to get to you. All right, we'll start here. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, I was
1: just going to ask, can you, Dr. Brown, can you please discuss the relevance of Proverbs 18 where it says death and life are in the power of the tongue when it relates
0: to healing? Yeah, so... Number one, death and life being in the power of the tongue is, is not primarily talking about sickness and disease, but about death and life, meaning the right way, the wrong way. And we can bring destruction with our tongue and, and we can bring healing with our tongue. So there's a lot in Proverbs. I just didn't get into all the verses uh, about healing words. Uh, for example, um, Proverbs 15:4 you know, that that there's people, you know, reckless speech like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I don't look at that as primarily physical healing, but it could be included. You know, just wide words, you know, can build someone up that's been torn down, etc. But but we know the very course of our lives can be destroyed by the words that we speak, that we could speak words to someone. How many people you find out, you know, ends up being a mass killer that all their lives they're, you know, ridiculed and mocked and told they're worthless and this and that, and then they go out and by their own will, of course, committed atrocities, but, but you know, death has been spoken over them. and Again, that's where that many folks in, in the word faith camp have a good understanding of the power of words and the power of the tongue, but again, get into this whole thing that whatever I say creates realities, to the point that years back, one of the more famous uh, word faith schools, they used to say on their applications, please, only real answers, no faith answers, because people would say, yeah, I, got, I, you know, I graduated you know, with A's in this because that was their faith confession. <laughs> Seriously. And they would also say, no faith checks, please, because people would write checks and there was no money in the bank to, to cover them. So that's where you can get into this, this, this false sense of reality. But for sure, in every area of our lives, our words are very powerful. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So look, is it is it logical that some kid that parents and peers and friends all talk down to and all say, you'll never amount to anything, you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything. Uh, is it likely that that kid's going to have a, a, a poor uh, a self-esteem and poor attitude and then you know someone else that's from day one till we believe in you and we know that god's with you and just in the natural i mean all this can be overcome but in the natural these things have have effect you know you when you're raising your kids you're careful what you say to them you correct but you always want to esteem and love and dad's telling their daughters how beautiful they are and you're just just you know getting certain things in your system so words are tremendously powerful and and uh the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life have been speaking things I shouldn't have spoken, you know, speaking out of turn. I I heard a quote about one man had suffered for many years in in prison for the gospel, but uh, he said, I never regretted a word that I didn't say. Uh, So there's, death and life are in the the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit of it. Can it extend also into healing? Yeah, I I believe that we can, Speak the word and believe the word and speak words of healing and faith and, and someone can literally be delivered from the jaws of death through it and we can speak constant unbelief and hopelessness. Here, I, the most graphic illustration I can give you. I was preaching in uh, upstate New York in the 1980s. Probably 1984, 1985, thereabouts. And um, the, the, there were two congregations that shared a building, and they would come together uh, when I'd speak, and, and they had kinda of like a school facility, and they would meet in the gymnasium. That's where they'd all come together. And there was a kid, maybe 12 years old or something, and uh, it, you ever remember Dennis the Menace? Okay, and uh, you know, it's so funny now. Think of that kid doing what he did then, being Dennis the Menace. Now he'd be like a saint, you know, <laughs> a kid like that. So. He, I remember he looked like Dennis the Menace. He had that scruffy, blonde hair and that kind of funny look on his face. But he had these thick glasses because he was terribly cross-eyed. And, and um, so he needed the glasses just to see normally. So he looked funny with the glasses. And I remember he was across the gymnasium from me when we prayed and, and said he was healed. And he took the glasses off and his eyes were straight and he saw me perfectly across the gymnasium so he was, I mean, we were pretty, pretty psyched over there. That. that was a pretty dramatic healing, you know? Not just the eyesight thing, but the eye, terrible cross-eyed, getting normal. And he got home, and his, his mom, I only found this out after I left, his mom was a real hard unbeliever, really hostile to the gospel. And he got home, and he said, look what happened. Look, And she said, I don't believe it. We're in front of her eyes. She said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And the eye went back to the way it was. It actually happened. And this is not the kind of thing psychosomatically you can just fix the vision and straighten the eye out. So there, you know, faith and words spoken they, they do have they do have power. Uh, okay, yes, sir. Okay, and you kind of just touched on right at the end there. Um, it's kind of personal too, at least it was a while ago, to where it was a battle between between words. Uh, one person would be talking against the healing. And while I'm talking for it, and he was back and forth all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. First you see it, then you don't. First you see it, then you don't. I mean, how do you handle the negative ends? Right, so what does Jesus do when uh, he goes into the, to the home of, of uh, Jairus, whose daughter, he's a synagogue ruler, his daughter has just died, right? And everyone's wailing. And, well, he, he kicks everybody else out except for just, you know, the inner circle, and he raises her up. And what does he tell Jairus when when they come and tell him, you know, don't bother the teacher, your daughter's dead? He says, fear not, believe only, and she'll live. So there is that strong call, you know, simply to believe, and it's that kind of tunnel vision to do it. Uh, There was a woman I met in Richmond, Virginia, also in the 80s, and one of the students in our school went to this church so that he knew the story intimately. She uh, was going through an ugly divorce. Her husband, I guess, turned away from the Lord. She was on her way to go to court, was really not thinking clearly, had her three kids in the car, did not have seatbelts pro- properly on them, got in an accident, and, and uh, two of the kids got badly injured. Uh, The the boy badly injured, but the the daughter severely injured. She went flying out of the car. There was a a, a street sign, a stop sign. Her head broke through the sign. So she's literally on the ground. Her brain's exposed. And and the mother is dazed. She's just praying in tongues. She's completely dazed. They bring her to the hospital. Uh, The son is critical, but he's going to make it. The daughter, they declare brain dead. And, um, and she said, my daughter's going to be healed. But, well, the, everyone thought she was just in denial at this point. The church people who were Pentecostal, Bible-believing people, they thought she's just in denial and are all trying to tell her, to accept it, your daughter's dead. Um, the doctor comes in, and um, she told me this part of the story herself. The doctor comes in, and it's a Jewish doctor, and she said, do you believe in Isaiah 53? And he said, no. She says, well, then I don't want you as my doctor. She said, I fired him, and I got another doctor. And this is the way she's telling me the story. So my, 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 student, my student told me that the people in the church thought she was crazy, but she refused to let go. And now there's brain activity. and So by the time I got there, the, the kid was either four or five years old, and the mother said to me, She's 100% normal except she's on medication for seizures and she's got bad scars on her legs because of the accident. Would you pray for her? And I I was aggressively praying for the sick, especially in those days, I did it a lot. But but I also knew this woman has faith. You know, it's kinda like I'll, I'll hitch my little faith onto her big faith, that's kinda how I felt, you know? Anyway, when I came back the next year, she wanted me to know the scars have disappeared off the legs. She's been off medication without a seizure for a year now. And you know, she's now in in starting in a in a school setting where she's testing above average for her age and all this. So it's it's one of those things where sometimes look, sometimes people are in denial. You know what I'm saying? They are. They're just not being realistic. And you know, they're still believing for the dead one, you know, the dead loved one to rise six months later. It's like, look, you're in denial, it's not gonna happen. But many times that 's what faith looks like it 's absolutely dogged and determined, and everyone thinks you 're completely crazy, but you know that you know that you know. so what you have to do is is really uh, do your best to get those other voices out of there. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth tells the story that he's he 's brought to the to the home of someone dying, and he brings a guy with him that 's a real prayer warrior he thinks great we 'll pray together so uh he asked the guy, start, you know, start praying. So this guy starts praying, Lord, we pray that, let, let's say, I think the wife was dying. You know, Lord, we pray that you'll comfort him over the loss of his wife. And then, so he starts praying all this prayer for comfort when the person dies. The girl shuts him down. You're killing her. Just shut up. You know, and, and then, so again, some people are in denial and you need to bring them to reality. Right? But other times, people are really in faith. And, and when you have people speaking negatively, you know, you've got to do your best to tell the person, look, if you want to be healed, you're, that's not going to help you. you know, that's just, just going to drag you down and discourage you. So look, is, is, is it either you have a miracle or you die? Yes, okay, then, then we're going for the miracle. If you die, you go be with the Lord. We'll celebrate that you're in his presence. But we're going to go for the miracle together, right? So we're just going to go for it. If you're going to go for it, go for it. You know, that that's how I would look at it. Yeah. And you do your best to exclude other other, other voices. Okay, question. Yes, ma'am. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Uh, I'm here for a healing, <laughs> and I have been through all the spiritual things and everything, and I'm down to one diet that I'm not eating properly, but the other one we were talking, and I just want to ask you how this fits uh, when people are abused and abused and abused and that goes into their cells and they they hold on to that and after so much of it, those cells won't receive anymore. And so the question is, and I know it's love that's going to heal. I know that. But enough love, could it cause those cells to begin to receive who Christ is? There is something walking, when when you're abused and abused and abused, you can hardly receive love. But I know, I, you know like I'm from this church, there are a lot of people here that love me, and when I get around them, I feel healed.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, well, certainly, the pattern of abuse, and, you know, be it through a marriage, be it through family upbringing, be it through circumstance, obviously can make it difficult for us to receive God's love. You know, some people that didn't have an earthly father had a you know a a very hostile earthly father or a drunken earthly father you didn't know one day the next is he going to hug you is he going to beat you that then they they find it difficult to relate to god and they have to renew their mind you know and, and then sometimes god's love just has to flood them and touch them and i think the biggest thing to to recognize is that in ourselves none of us are worthy but we become worthy through the blood of jesus that that um god loves us because he's good not because we're good and, and, you know, just like, uh, you know, our grandkids are between now 10 and 17. And now some of them, you know, I get texts and things like that. And I was telling our 17-year-old, I said, you know, every time I get a text from you, it's still so special because that's my granddaughter. She doesn't have, have to do anything, right? Think of the love you have for an infant. The infant does absolutely nothing. You know what I'm saying? The infant just lays there like... You know, you're just you're doing nothing. They're just laying there. They're not, they're not smiling at you. They're not doing anything, you know? Uh, and, and, and how much more is the love that God has for us? So I absolutely encourage you, bathe yourself in, in, in God's love and in his goodness and, and recognize that on the worst day you ever had, his love is just the same and his goodness is just the same. And many times that does bring healing with it. And, you know, as, as, far, as, as far as the issue of, of, of healthy eating... Uh, I was willfully ignorant about the negative consequences of foods I was eating. What do I say, willfully ignorant? Well, because you know that one doctor tells you this is healthy, and another doctor tells you something else is healthy. So you can always find some doctor that tells you what you wanna hear, you know? Or some eating plan. And I tried them all, I'd, whatever. I would do the ones where you eat whatever you want during the day and take a pill at night, you know what magic you know, metabolism,' it didn't, none, of, none of it worked, OK? When I made a radical lifestyle change and, and got rid of every literally 100 percent of every unhealthy thing I ate, which was pretty much my entire diet, and started eating things that I would have paid you money not to eat in the past. I, I literally used to say this overseas. That I would rather preach to a, a hostile, potentially violent crowd than eat new foods. I did. I literally did that. I, I literally, without fear, went. We took our lives on the, on the line, put our lives at stake by preaching in certain places. And I did it with joy. But new foods, no way. I wasn't going to tell I was the ultimate food wimp. And, and, and I want to explain this, and I just want to pray for you, though, before we're done. All right, so, so listen. If I said to you four years ago, four years ago, which is more likely? That we will have national revival in America, or that Donald Trump will be our next president, and that he'll be largely elected with the help of white evangelicals because he's become a champion of the pro-life movement. Remember, think back four, think back four years everybody with a working brain would have said national revival is far more likely. It seemed com- complete. I mean, look, we're more used to things, for better or worse, we're more used to things now, but four years ago, that's pro-life champion, white evangelicals voting, really crazy. Okay, if I said to you four years ago, which is more likely? Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States, elected with the help of white evangelicals in particular, Uh, voting for him because he's a champion of the pro-life movement, or Dr. Michael Brown and his wife Nancy will co-author a book on breaking the stronghold of food, and Michael Brown will be known as a super-healthy eater. Anyone with a working brain would have said Trump. (laughs) You could not have picked a more unlikely candidate, okay? I was disciplined. I was not a glutton, but I was a lifelong unhealthy eater, And I thought my taste buds just didn't like other foods, not realizing that your taste buds will crave whatever you feed them. God is my witness. It was harder for me to give up chocolate than to give up heroin. God is my witness. And the latest study that someone shared with me is that sugar was eight times more addictive than cocaine. Yeah, so... so, I truly believe that the great majority of sicknesses that we deal with would be fixed by healthy eating with exercise brought in, but I was, I was overweight and exercising too. Now, now, please hear me. Number one, some of you have sicknesses that are 100% unrelated to diet. The healthiest diet in the world is not gonna fix that. That's number one, all right? Number two, some of you struggle like I did for years to make changes. It's not easy. Right, with God's grace, all things are possible. The last thing I want to do is make anyone feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or feel bad for bad eating habits, whatever. It's, it's rough. We're, everything in our society around us is food-related. The standard American diet is deadly. You know, someone's pointing out when you go to a restaurant near the kids' meal, it's all unhealthy stuff, you know? It's, just, it, it's the way we're raised, the environment. We're and then in the church world, it's the one thing we can do right can't get high can't smoke you know drink fool around but you can eat you know and then everything we do has food in the middle of it pot like this and fellowship this and it's all unhealthy you know who says oh come on let's come have some fellowship we'll have some broccoli and apples and great no it's donuts and other stuff right so i was willfully ignorant Uh, some of us are just plain ignorant but one of our friends who believes in healing the sick, prays for the sick, uh, worked with, with a, a doctor you know, specializing in nutritional issues, and you know type 2 diabetes is 100 percent reversible with, with stringent, healthy diet. Uh, and we're hearing from people reading our book that are getting off diabetic medication 100 uh, percent. That's not ty- Type one diabetes is different, but type two can be completely reversible. You may do damage to yourself you can't reverse, but the diabetes itself, 100% reversible through healthy eating. And they have these programs where, where diabetics will come and do this intensive one-week retreat, and they, they wean them off every unhealthy thing and give them the healthy stuff, and then they have doctors monitoring the blood, you know, make sure it's safe. So they go through miserable withdrawal, just like, like I did. It was miserable for three days. But you go through the withdrawal and the whole bit, and she says in one week... Just a one week retreat, but monitored by doctors, right? In the one week retreat, she has seen more people healed of diabetes than in all of her years in praying for people with diabetes. So, a lot of things we, we can cooperate with the Lord. And so, you know, just like I haven't had a headache now in, in three and three quarter years since I started, I used to have them four, four times a week, probably, and sometimes real bad, and sometimes more than that. I've, I've not had one. And all that time. It's not a miracle. It's just a natural consequence of the, of the healthy eating. So we do what we can do. But then even there, we ask for mercy and help because we did a lot of things just ignorantly, maybe hurt our bodies for years and years and years. And then with everything, we just come asking God to graciously pour out of spirit. So before we go further, I, I just want to pray for our sister here, all right? So why don't you just stand up, all right? Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your healing power. We thank you for life. We thank you for your love. We come against everything that is not from above and speak healing, life, the flow of your love through her, making everything whole. May she receive spirit, soul, and body, healing life by the power of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, we've got time for a few more questions, uh, and, and then what we'll do, we want to pray for folks tonight and have the healing team ready to pray as well. Uh, if someone prayed before they leave, we'll, we'll just have a general prayer for those that can't be here tonight. And, and, and listen, the biggest, biggest thing is, is remember, if, if healing is a gift from God and sickness and disease in themselves are a negative, whatever their cause, whatever their reason, right, whatever their origin. It, it means that if you're sick and struggling, God's for you, not against you. As F.S. F. Bosworth said in his, his classic book, Christ the Healer, and Bosworth discipled A.W. A. W. Tozer, by the way, for that's worth for some of you. But Bosworth said that if, if sickness and disease were sent by God as blessings on the human race, then every hospital every doctor, every nurse would be in rebellion against God. If God is the healer, then doctors, nurses, hospitals are all working with God for good. And the problem is we have limitations. The problem is as human beings, we don't have cures for everything. As human beings, we, you know, we use chemotherapy to treat cancer, but chemotherapy in itself is very damaging. You know, we have to amputate limbs and things like that. So we do what we can but, but our healing knowledge is not perfect. But you thank God for it. You thank God for health caregivers and hospitals and good medicine and doctors because they're, they're all working with God to bring healing. So never feel condemned like, what's wrong with me? Just say, hey, God's with me in the midst of my sickness. And I'm not less than anybody else because I'm sick because we don't measure that by outward things. We measure by the, the quality of our life in God. And that's why I've said over and over and over, some of the godliest people you know are, are sick. All right? What does it mean? It means they, they love the Lord. Nothing's going to stop them from loving the Lord. And they've developed great character and everything through it. But the thing in itself has been a challenge and a trial. It's just through the challenges and the trials we often grow and become more like Jesus. Look, how many of you have, have learned some real heavy lessons by going through some real severe trials? Have those lessons been life-changing? Would you like to go through those trials again? Ah, isn't that interesting? (laughs) All these hands, yeah, yeah, no. So that's kind of the way I look at sickness. You know, you may learn something through it. Good may come out of it. The thing itself, no thanks. Okay, other questions. Yes, ma'am.
1: I I was one that put my hand down uh, quite quickly um, to that. But um, the question that I have for you, and I don't know that it um i know that there's got to be something that that's going to ring true most of the things that you've said have so far so thank you um i have a loved one who suffers from addiction Mm -hmm. and um is a believer is a Mm -hmm. follower and backslider as i've learned from coming on wednesday nights here and um through his sickness, and this is an ex-husband, this is my ex-husband, whom I still have a very um, bonded relationship with, Um, but through his sickness in this disease, the sickness of addiction, um, it has made me sick, also physically, Um, by God's grace, I'm well, and you said something earlier about medication, you know, and I did put down all medication that I was on because I found myself getting more sick from it. And I just put my mm-hmm. faith in Christ that he would. Yeah, yeah. And he has, so praise be to him for that. My question, um, is there like a particular scripture or a most powerful prayer to pray over somebody that um, has fallen, fallen into this, to help them find their way out, to, yeah. to support them, although the sickness is, is kind of, you know, leaking out into people around them.
0: Right. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that, you, that you've been through that. And uh, it's a trauma that I, I can't relate to personally, you know, having not lived through that with my own spouse. But n- number one, uh, your prayers are tremendously powerful but your prayers are only part of the equation so i i would constantly cry out to the lord i take any verses about liberty or freedom if the sun sets you free you're free indeed you know uh, any any of the, the, the promises about uh, god setting captives free jesus came to set the captives free you know uh, and i would remind him you know god you set this one free you set that one free you know you died for him you love him and and cry out because the prayers of loved ones often save people from death. You know, in 1 John 5, if you see someone committing a sin that's not unto death, pray. You know, so, so we cry out, we pray. I can't tell you how many people I've heard their testimony. It was the prayers of a mother or a father or, or a loved one that, that prayed them out. Look, I, I know I was praying to make a lifestyle change because I realized I had to, you know, with diet and all of that. But Nancy was really crying out to God for me. Uh, and, and I know that, that that is a major difference as, as to why something just happened supernaturally where I had a ability and strength and willpower that I never had, and it's just been, it's been there ever since, you know, every day. So um, your prayers make a big difference, but you're also talking about someone's will. There are still choices that are being made, and that even though addiction on the one hand is a sickness, it's also a result of choices that are made. Someone may have an addictive type of personality, but they still make choices along the way. And what I, if I was praying, um, I would pray that God brings them to such a place of, of desperation where he's willing to do something radical to bring about the change. Because often someone like that, unless they get in like a teen challenge program and just live with people and are getting immersed in it for a year or two, it's just hard to break free. So I I would just pray, God, do whatever you have to do to set him free. I'd remind God of his faithfulness and his promises. I'd remind God of others that he delivered. Look, when I was battling with giving up chocolate, you know, when I was in my third day of going through miserable withdrawal and all the breads and, you know, just all these toxins in me, I cried out to God and reminded him of how he set me free from drugs. I said, Lord, you did that. You were that real in my life then. Jesus was so real, I didn't care about anything. I said, surely the power of your spirit is greater than the power of peanut M&M's. <laughs> I mean, I had a, but I had to remind God for me of how he had set me free then to believe he was going to set me free from, from food addictions now. So the same way, you know, God, you set this one free. You set that one free. You set, Surely you can set him free. And just take a look with me at, at this verse in 1 um, in Timothy 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, it, I'm just going to make an application because it's not, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I just want to make this application here. It says in verse 24, Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So it's 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26. Now, the principle there is that the servant of the Lord should be patient with others. There are some people who are bound by Satan that are deceived so the servant of the Lord is, you know, the, those ministering the gospel are patient and, and, and work with this person, and, and the hope and prayers that God will grant them repentance so that they can be set free from the devil's snare. Now, you may not be in that direct situation with him, but the thing is that you're praying for someone that's, that's captive, that's bound, that's lost, that at this point is a slave. Even if he made choices to get where he is, he's a slave now. And he may hate where he is, but he doesn't know the way out. So it's simply a matter of God reaching down where he is and grabbing him out. And, and in that sense, praying, crying out, you could be his lifeline. You know, sometimes God just has you focus on your own life because you know, it gets too heavy and overwhelming. But what I'd say, whenever you feel the burden, cry out. And if you have some you know, close, close friends with you that you really feel this is the right time to pray, cry out if the Lord lays it on your heart to fast. Sometimes it's those right moments and the person can be set free. And then in the midst of it, whatever it is that dragged you down, you know, in the past, you need to do your best to, to, be, to realize that, that your entire life does not revolve around his well-being. You know, that, that God's joy and God's peace, and God, that he has an ongoing purpose for your life here and now. And that you need to be whole and strong, you know, in, in yourself. And um, uh, you have folks here that are praying for him regularly, I trust, some some. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, you pray daily for God to work. But then when you feel those extreme burdens, pray because sometimes God's, something's happening then. He's at a critical point or someone's offering him hope or you never know. When you feel those burdens, as crazy it may seem, just cry out with everything in you. And, um, you know, God, the bottom line, though, is God's more concerned about his well-being than you are. And some of it is also, you know, let, let God work and, and, and you lean on him. But th- thanks for sharing that uh, openly. I know that's not easy. Uh, any, any other? All right. Up. Oh, OK, go ahead.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> you, I'm grateful that you answered her question first, because a lot of the things that you said were very helpful for me, even though my question isn't exactly like the question she posed. Um, I have a question about mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people in the Christian community have the the opinion, or I guess that's how you'd say it, that mental illness is a demonic Mm -hmm. thing, and others don't. And how does scripture, how, how do you find that in the scripture, that it would be demonic? I mean... Or is it just a chemical imbalance that's happened? Or, and to pray for somebody like that, that.
0: Right. So. I just one so, instruction. Right. Physical illness is sometimes a purely physical thing, or like someone falls and breaks their wrist, it's a broken wrist. It's not like demons are attacking the wrist. It's, you know, hit the thing and it shattered, right? Um, and sometimes physical illness is, is a demonic attack, right? Um, same, with, same thing with, with mental illness. You know, the, the thing is, because mental illness can look so demonic, why is this person acting like this and talking like this? It's easy to think it's demonic, and sometimes it is. Sometimes someone's under demonic oppression or is demon-possessed, and when they're set free, they're totally normal. Other times, the, the brain is part of the body. The brain is just not functioning properly, right? Now you can't see, all right, here, uh, years ago I dislocated this finger and, and it was like this and straight up, another basketball injury with a fracture. Well, you could see something was wrong, this and straight up, okay? You, you could see it. Or here you got a rash on your body, you could see that. Uh, or here the x-rays, you can see this, but a lot of brain stuff you can't see. And therefore it's very easy to just think it's a spiritual thing. But the brain is part of the body and there are sometimes chemical imbalances, Look, there are even things where, you know, the the diet affects the brain. There's there's a lot of physiological stuff. And um, the worst thing to do is, is, you know, maybe someone, it it is a medical condition. It can be a diagnosed medical condition to make them feel like they're not doing something right, you know, because they're depressed or they're schizophrenic or something like that. So I believe a lot of things can be resolved with godly counsel. I believe certain things can be resolved with change of lifestyle. Uh, Certain things can be resolved... Uh, through de- deliverance from demons. I'm talking about mental, mental illnesses. And some, uh, if they're not healed, need medication. And that when someone loves the Lord and they're a godly person, and there's actually a chemical imbalance, and when the thing's right, they function perfectly normally. Uh, to make them feel like some kind of sinner or you're doing something wrong is, is really cruel. Uh, I think there's a, an overemphasis sometimes on, on mental-emotional issues that, can, that have godly resolutions you know, through godly living, and there's a lot of stuff, again, that we, we realize more and more. Like A lot of kids struggle with certain things, but the diet is so unhealthy and the massive amounts of sugar and other things have effects, and you change that. Uh, I, I met one woman, uh, wife of a pastor in California, and it was early on in my lifestyle change, and we were sitting there, and, and I was uh, having a salad, and she was having a salad, and uh, she, she started talking to me, she and her husband, and they had two severely autistic children, severely autistic, and tried every remedy that was known and treatment and all this. And that's, that's going to be a terrible hardship. Again, it's something I can't even imagine. And then they began to look into things and realized that there were people that advocated some radical food lifestyle changes. And they, they did the rigorous total change and live like that. the kids are totally normal today. She wrote a book about it called The Deception of Disease. So there's a lot of stuff, but that's, that was a physiological thing, right? It wasn't demons. It was, it was a physiological thing that it changes. Other things can't be resolved like that, and it's, it's just it's, it's a physical issue. It's a physical issue in the brain that responds to medication. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with the person. You know, look, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if I'm depressed, there's something wrong with me. Well, I'm just going to get more depressed over that. And sometimes meditating on the Word and all that changes, and we can be physically healed as well, but then sometimes there's a physical issue. So mental illness in that sense is no different than physical illness. You know, sometimes it's demonic, sometimes it's natural. Uh, uh, You pray for God to make them whole the same way. Um, if, If it's attitudes, if it's wrong thinking that God would direct them, if it's a lifestyle thing that God would show them, If it's a physical thing, that there's a chemical imbalance, that they're on drugs, you just pray for the healing of that chemical imbalance. You know, but you don't just assume that because the person has an emotional issue, that it's that there's an emotional cause for it. Sometimes there is. Sometimes there's a physical cause for it. Um, All right, I'll tell you what. Last question. Is
1: that a question?
0: Yeah. as, As long as you can do it briefly, go ahead. To the wife. The wife. Yeah, the wife of the addict. Forgive me.
2: As as a mother of an addict of more than 20 years, I just want to say that the one thing that kept me going is the fact that, number one, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, and so we continue, even though we're not righteous. We're only made righteous by the blood, but to keep that in mind, and the other thing is, things such as these can only be broken with prayer and fasting. And for Years I prayed, but I didn't fast. I didn't know and I didn't understand, but when I started trying and working harder and was on my face, then God started to bring things around and I started to see change. I just want to share that with you because if that's all you have, it may not even be in your day, but it will be. I just want, I just want to edify you. Thank with you. That.
0: Thank you. All right, right in the front row, last question. Thank you. Yes, sir. Um...
1: Side question, a bunch of us wanted to know your doctor friend from California that wrote the books, his name.
0: Oh, oh, uh, Dr. Mark Stengler. Okay. So they a- yes, S-T-N-G-L-E-R. And then... I think he's called like America's Natural Doctor or something. He's written like 30-something books. He gave me a few of them. It's like the Encyclopedia of Natural Cures and stuff. So he's an MD and then a homeopathic doctor also. Yeah, so he that did was the blood their te- question. The 17-page oh. blood test for me. Yes.
1: Um, can you explain the difference between the gospel mandate to heal the sick and then those who operate in the gifts of healings?
0: Yeah. So we know Jesus sent his disciples out and said, heal the sick. And we know that he's given us the power of spirit to minister to the sick. So in that sense, all of us are healing agents, just like all of us can share the gospel. All of us can pray for the sick. And... Something to encourage you to offer to pray for someone that's sick if you meet them is that they just almost always will take it as a nice gesture. In other words, they'll be surprised if they're healed. They just think it's a nice thing you want to do. So it's not like you're risking everything to say, hey, can I pray for you? Why? Well, I just believe God heals. Can I pray for you? It's nothing ventured, nothing lost. And to do it, you know, most people, if nothing happens, they'll, they'll just thank you for being nice, you know. Um, but all of us can go out and, and minister, but there are some that have particular healing gifts. Uh, many evangelists have healing gifts because they're, they're preaching to the lost in God's power, especially confirming those messages. And, and those who flow in gifts of healing, you will see a just proportionately higher number of people healed. Or you'll see just on a regular basis that people with this condition, when you pray for them, they're healed. It's like, you know, it's like doctors with specialties, that gifts of healing with certain specialties. So that would be the unusual with certain people. The norm is that all of us can pray for the sick and ask God to heal and believe that this is part of the kingdom of God advancing. Especially dealing with the lost. Especially with the lost. So, so listen, let's do this. It's, it's 401. Um, why don't you stand to your feet with me and tonight, we're, just, we're going to preach and pray for people. I'm not giving a long teaching tonight, all right? We want to pray for however the Holy Spirit wants to move, whatever he wants to do. And uh, oh, one thing just to mention to you, uh, and I may forget in case some of you aren't here tonight, when you're at the book table, if, if you're interested in going to Israel, uh, I, I minister in Israel all the time, but I never do tours until a friend persuaded me to do one a few years ago, and people just had the time of their lives, so I I did a second one, and I finally got persuaded to do a third one, and they're amazing, life-changing experiences, but when we do them, what we're doing also is having special ministry at night, so you get the benefit of the full amazing tour, and then ministry at night, you know, or you join me for my radio show, we have special times of ministry to folks, so grab one of these uh, cards on the way out, it's next February, so uh, time to plan now, Holy Fire in the Holy Land. Had to come up with a good name for it, all right? And then remember the, the books that are here, Authentic Fire, which is uh, a strong answer to an attack on the charismatic movement called Strange Fire. Authentic Fire, really build your faith about what God's doing today and, and the God that we can experience. And then the book that, that you'll pre-order and we'll send you when it comes out next month, we'll, we'll sign it and send it to you. It's called Playing with Holy Fire, a wake-up call to the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. We believe God wants to do much, much, much more. But there's a lot of flakiness and junk in, in the Pentecostal Charismatic movement we got to fix. And as we fix that, I believe we're going to see God move in ways we never have before. So get those at the table and grab one of those cards if it's of interest to you. All right, let's, let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're the healer. Right now, we ask for the release of your power to heal. We ask right now for the release of your spirit to set captives free. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke sickness and disease. We ask for life. We ask for liberty. We ask for freedom. We ask for healing. We ask for removal of pain, removal of chronic conditions, removal of incurable conditions, that your power would sweep through here and that you'd sweep through this place tonight that we'd encounter you afresh, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. See you at 7 tonight. Thank you.